I would say that the university's job is to prepare students for life and for solving problems in yeah. life. And one of my friends who uh, runs an engineering firm said to me, I can make an engineer. I want a well-rounded human being. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in this week. This is installment number four in the Sea Change series. I'm joined today by Susan Hay Patrick, the CEO of United Way of Missoula County. Susan is a renowned leader in Western Montana and she has a lot to say about many of the challenges facing our region, especially when it comes to the pillars of her organization, education, income, and health. Our conversation covers a lot of ground, but there are three areas in particular that stand out. First, we talk about how homelessness affects men and women differently, and Susan offers some important truths about what's called hidden homelessness. Second, we discuss the nonprofit sector and why it tends to disproportionately employ women for better and worse. And third, I also learned a ton from Susan's perspective on nonprofit governance and board composition. It was great to spend some time with Susan learning more about her and her important work. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. And I'll give bonus points to any listener who quantifies my rampant overuse of the word fraught. It's such a great word, but good grief, I went a little overboard on this one. Okay, enough self-deprecation. Let's get on to Susan Haypatrick right now. Okay, so we're here today with Susan Haypatrick. Susan, thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. So you are the CEO of United Way of Missoula County. Yes. And, uh, you know, I've, I've known you, known of your work professionally, but um, and you've been at United Way since 2006, is Yes. That? I'm impressed. You did some homework. A little there. bit. Just enough <laughs> so you maybe trust me a little bit at okay. this beginning of the interview. <laughs> but I guess along those lines, like you're sort of this pillar of the Missoula community in western Montana. But, you know, I don't really know kind of your backstory. We talked a little bit. You're from sure. Connecticut. And mm-hmm. you know, how, did, how did Missoula end up on your life plan? Um, well, there was a guy involved. Okay. Um, but I would say it was um, a continuation of my path in the nonprofit world. I graduated from college in the late 70s as an English major with a journalism concentration. Okay. And where was that? In uh, Castleton University in right. Castleton, Vermont. Okay. And then Castleton State College, but now we're now we're putting on airs and we're Castleton <laughs> University. That's right. I don't know quite um, what the threshold is. No, no, I, I meant to Google that and find out. Um, and I was a newspaper reporter in Connecticut okay. for the Waterbury Republican for a few years. And then decided that, uh, you know, I I would be a much better newspaper reporter today in my 60s than I was in my 20s. Mm. I I would go home at night feeling bad that I had been too tough on someone or bad that I'd been not tough enough. And I joke that back then I really cared whether people liked me. And (laughs) as you get older, you, you... you know, you care less about that and more about doing the right thing. And uh, so to make a long story even longer, as is my custom, I got a job writing corporate communications for a Fortune 500 company in Manhattan. Okay. And that was... Um, it's a big change from a little over It was a Vermont. huge change. And I got so much grief from my fellow newspaper reporters for jumping ship. And, yeah, you know, going corporate. Going corporate. And But really, I had always uh, had... 
what I jokingly call a save the world complex. Mm -hmm. I really always felt like making the world better was something that I wanted to be part of. And I was, I had gone to an all girls school uh, for prep school and there was a strong ethos there of to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm -hmm. And community service was emphasized almost as much as academics. And I think being from a very tiny village in northwestern Connecticut, you always reached out to your neighbors. And so it was just part of my DNA. And I started working uh, in at the national level in nonprofits, Feeding America, the National Food Bank Network. So at this point, you've left Manhattan. You're right. I, yes, st- yeah. the, the, I've lived all over the country. Yeah, my, the, my background is kind of like a fugitive from justice. Uh, <laughs> I, I moved to Arizona where Feeding America was started, Okay. then relocated with them to Chicago to sure. be closer to the center of the nation's food industry, mm-hmm. was then recruited to Washington, D.C. to be a... Um, fundraiser, lobbyist, activist on hunger and poverty issues, um, food stamps, basically protecting, defending federal food assistance programs. Because one thing I learned early on at Second Harvest and then Feeding America was we're not going to food bank our way to the end of hunger. Yeah. And uh, then was recruited to California to uh, be the grants director and then CEO of a national foundation focused on hunger prevention and relief. Uh, came here in 99 in conjunction with the Pavarello Center's 25th right. anniversary to uh, give a speech at, mm-hmm. their, um, at a conference they were sponsoring. Met the aforementioned fella. Oh, okay. Uh, Here's the link. <laughs> Had a two-year-long distance relationship, uh, moved here, uh, and ultimately, we did not stay together. But as a matter of fact, when I leave here, we are having lunch. We are still very close. Yeah, brought you here. Maybe helped keep you here. And uh, he's, backstory, now engaged to somebody I introduced him to. So all's well that ends well. Very good. This is a great (laughs) story. And the story since. I mean, you've been doing incredible work with the United Way and, um, you know, kind of the three pillars of the United Way. Education, income, and health. Right. Right. And so, this conversation, we're going to talk about your work and the work of the organization. But this episode is also situated in this series about sea change, yes. which is a, uh, a women's elevation, empowerment, um, awareness, a lot of different verbs. Um, those aren't verbs. <laughs> it's okay. You can make them I mean into verbs. Right. The English major in yeah. me will not correct you. Uh, you should. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, a lot of good things, uh, f- not just for women, but for the, our, our whole society. Right. Because um, I mean, what's good for women is good for our whole society. Generally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although you're reminding me like of some pithy bumper sticker my dad gave my mom once. Like, if mom ain't happy, nobody is happy. Right, right. So you yeah. wonder, like, is there some... <laughs> it's a great statement, right? Right. But is it grounded in some other sort of gender bias truth on no i definitely think that i i'm not a subscriber to that because i think it's patronizing and a little bit stereotyping maybe of difficult like all lives matter and (laughs) right but uh you know women hold up half the sky as they say in the african proverb and and i find generally that women's issues are all of our issues generally generally so let's talk about the work of the United Way, but kind of through this lens of differential outcomes across genders. I mean, so 
you know, the, the plan to end homelessness, mm-hmm. for example. How sure. does homelessness affect men and women differently? Or, 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 Great or question. What sort of patterns do you see in your work? Great question. So United Way, uh, I was uh, very privileged to be uh, the co-chair of the plan uh, when it was under development, and it was housed at United Way for its first five years. This was before there was a city office of housing and community mm-hmm. development. Uh, when that uh, came to fruition and they hired staff, we transferred the plan to the city where it now resides. It really belongs where it can attract the most resources, and the public sector is by far the biggest supporter of housing and homeless Sh- services. So, Sure, but at the same time, like probably wouldn't happen without – United Way, there was no place for it to go. Yes, yeah, true. And we exactly. are that community convener, collaborator, champion. Mm-hmm. And we are the plan's principal private sector right. champion, raising private sector funds to uh, supplement what the public sector provides. Mm-hmm. And we can be much more nimble in using those funds. And um, so homelessness, obviously, you can't be in Missoula more than a few days without seeing that we have a issue of homelessness. But what we often don't see uh, is the typical face of homelessness in Missoula, which is a single mom with kids. We see the high-profile folks on the street, Mm -hmm. often with very problematic behaviors, with co-occurring disorders, mental health issues, addiction issues. But the hidden homeless are the moms and the kids, many of them fleeing domestic violence or doubling up with relatives or living in their cars or staying in cheap motel rooms. And obviously, a solution that's going to work for them isn't going to be the same thing that's going to work for the folks on the street. Absolutely. That's not going to work for the kids aging out of foster care. So one reason it's a 10-year plan to end homelessness is... If it were easy and cheap, we would have done it by now. Yeah, like most things, right? Right. So I would assume you have to sort of initiate different types of programming and outreach efforts and and so forth to address that hidden homelessness population. Right. You know, like you said, when people think of homelessness, they don't think of the middle-aged single mom with kids that's living out of her car and nobody knows it. Right, or staying at the YWCA's shelter. In fact... I'm sure you're aware the YWCA and the Missoula Interfaith Collaborative are collaborating to build um, housing and and family shelter because that's something that we lack in our community. There there really hasn't been a facility, short-term facility. Uh, The 10-year plan, of course, focuses on housing. I think for way too long in our community, as in many places in our country, we treated shelter as the answer to homelessness. We thought the POV, the Pavarello Center, was the answer when really that should be triage and sort of a short-term place. And the answer to homelessness is housing. Right. That's the drum that I beat. It makes sense. And so yeah. have you observed differences in you know, between men and women in their sort of likelihood of asking for help? That's a great question. On the homelessness dimension. Definitely women with kids are tireless advocates for their family you and would are think, much yeah. more inclined to, to seek help. Um, and and I think we sometimes stereotype poor moms as you know not being good moms, mm-hmm. which is that doesn't square with any of my experience over the years. You know, poor moms want what all moms want, yeah. which is safety and health and and a good life for their kids, food on the table, roof over their heads, and and they will do whatever they can 
often at great personal sacrifice to ensure a, a strong upbringing for their kids. And, and we're lucky that we have um, organizations like Word, like the Pavarello Center, um, like uh, Homeward, um, the YWCA, mm-hmm. working directly to help people, women, and, and families. Pavarello, of course, is focused on adults, but those other organizations do outreach and, and do respond. And our new coordinated entry system as part of the 10-year plan really prioritizes those most in acute need and makes sure that they get housing first. We really try to practice diversion, Okay. Um, keeping people housed. It's so much more expensive and complicated to rehouse someone. So let's talk. What let's de- sort of define that. So somebody diversion meaning somebody's about to become homeless, right? About to so, lose their home, for example. So helping I'm, them out somewhere. <clears throat> you're staying with your uncle, but your uncle wants you to leave. Why does he want you to leave? Because he can't afford the groceries anymore. Right. So if we gave your uncle two hundred dollar gift certificate to Albertsons, would you be able to stay? Yeah. Well, uh, you have a mom in Polson. Your mom has room for you. You have a job waiting. You don't have a way to get to Polson because mm. your car is broken down. If we fixed your car, or you know, so it's a case by case. Uh, but it's diversion is a sort of a clinical term for a really uh, relationship-based way of figuring out people's individual situations and how we can keep them housed so they don't come into the system. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about kind of the the intimacy that's required to pull off diversion. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, it's a you're you're term, getting into people's business. Yeah, and, and finding out very specifically what their situation is and what the best outcome you you can get for them. And so, you know, thinking specifically about, you know, that that mother with the, the kids example, I mean, what are some of the pathways into the type of trust you need to 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 be successful with the, with the diversion programs? You know, my first thought is that we have a, an innate genetic advantage in that women are natural relationship builders. Yeah. And I, I certainly am not uh, on the front lines. Uh, I have a more of a you know twenty thousand foot view, but uh, many women involved in this caseworker type of relationship. I mean, many people are women. Our, our whole sector is dominated by right. women. Right. I definitely and, want to plant a flag there and come back to that. Okay, that's for an sure. Important topic. And uh, I, I see the caring hearts of these women, including the Pavarello Center's homeless outreach team, two of their stars are women, um, one of whom has considerable lived experience with Mm -hmm. homelessness and the relationships that they build with people on the street, men and women, is is really quite something. So, yeah, the relationship piece sounds critical. You know, let's talk about the, the, the other kind of two pillars, income, Sure. In health, sure. much gets made of the you know in terms of income of the the gender wealth gap, right? And, and we'll maybe get back to that. But in terms of health, yeah, you know, working on health at outcomes, particularly early childhood, mm-hmm. does gender play a role in, in some of the the your observations of, of that dimension? I would say again that women are more inclined to. Uh, seek help to uh, always have their eye on the horizon of what they can do to keep their kids safe and healthy uh, and active. What about their own health? Ah, Is it coming maybe at their own health, at their own, their expense of their own health? 
Uh, probably. I mean, I don't have data to support sure, that. Of but, um, but it would seem. Right. I, I, yes. And the stress that single parenthood can pose yeah. and the economic hardship that you're facing and you're trying to hold down at least one job and also raise a family, sometimes with little or no support from the father right. um, or from anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to... Uh, you know, I practice sort of targeted universalism. The programs that United Way supports are for everybody, but we really like to serve those most vulnerable. So our 5210 Let's Move Missoula initiative, for example, which encourages kids and families to eat five servings of fruits and vegetables a day, have no more than two hours of recreational screen time, mm-hmm. uh, play hard for an hour, an hour of moderate to vigorous physical activity, and then zero sugar-sweetened beverages. That's sort of an easy um, mantra that kids and families can yeah. try to practice I to mean, even, improve their health. Yeah, and even if you sort of live a relatively comfortable life, those are difficult things to right, sort right. of uh, Well, we know that screen time is, is a driver of obesity, yeah. so um, whatever we can do to stem that and the not get, start those habits at an early age. Mm-hmm. Um, Eating healthily is, yeah. is more of a challenge, I think. We, the, the way food is marketed and priced in our society. Yeah, uh, and, and accessed as and, well. And accessed. Food deserts and the yeah. like. So we're very fortunate that we have programs like Missoula Food Bank, which yeah. really puts a premium on uh, nutritious food and on feeding families. And they have this wonderful new program uh, that empowers women uh, it called Level Lived Experience Something Something Leadership Voices of Leadership to we got everything but the V there I think it's Voices Voices, voices. okay yeah, yeah you said Voices to um, really help low income women find their voice and uh, amplify it as as we uh, work together to solve the society societal issues that hum- hunger is a symptom of. Uh, it's a small project just being piloted, but uh, I have great faith that it will do wonderful things. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hey, this is Coulter Nuanas from ESPN Missoula, and you're listening to A New Angle. And, you know, the, the final piece, or not the final, but the third piece, income, you know, when you mentioned uh, that 75% of the of the people that work in your sector are women, that's an interesting, I mean, that's an interesting phenomenon that I'd love to get your thoughts on, but also how that dynamic plays out in terms of the the gender income gap. Right. So it's not just that women get paid less for the same job, but they're also right. sort of either selecting into or being selected into different types of jobs. Yeah, I do think that, uh, and I, I, you know, I hope this doesn't come off as a gender stereotype, but I do think we are relationship builders and natural nurturers to a great extent, and that lends itself to a caring profession like the nonprofit world. And I think the seamy underbelly of that 
is that women in the nonprofit sector are paid something like 83% of the wages of a man, and that one reason our sector is so dominated by women is because men wouldn't put up with the low pay. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, <clears throat> you know, my wife worked, um, has worked in, extensively in nonprofit, and I just remember her first series of jobs out of, out of college were with a variety of nonprofit organizations, and it just seemed to churn up young women. Now, I'm sure... Yeah. You could probably say there's high turnover in most careers at the early career stage. But these organizations in particular just seemed – it seemed like a particular problem they should be thinking about. Right, right. And I don't think enough thought uh, has been given to it historically, but I definitely think that's changing. What has happened in the corporate sector has has bled down to the nonprofit sector. We're yeah. looking at it too, at inequity and that – Asking someone their salary history, which United Way has never done, at least under my tenure, um, it's not relevant. You know, you don't go into a restaurant, and when you well, when you go into a restaurant, they don't say, "What do you want to pay for the ham and eggs?" Right, <laughs> they right. say the ham and eggs cost this. Sure. So when we create a job, we say this job is this is what this job pays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you negotiate within reason, but I, I would find it objectionable to ask someone what their salary history is, because it doesn't have any bearing on what I'm calling upon them to do. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, at the risk of sort of digressing here, you know, I often think, though, that there is this odd privacy around salaries that I don't think serves anyone. Right, right. That's why we publish a salary. Yeah, if I know what my colleagues are paid, that helps me make decisions about how I'm valued by the organization. And it helps you be a better negotiator, and women historically aren't as effective negotiators for themselves as are men. Right. In part because they've had less experience over decades. But you're right. Uh, I I like to just publish the salary range and not make people guess or have to go online and delve into tax returns. and Sure, and then not make... I mean, there are... There are, and not make a salary be the function of a negotiating um, acumen. Right, right. You know, some people are well better said. negotiators than others, and and you know we have a structure that rewards that in many yeah. ways. But should we be? Yeah. Now, I mean, I guess that's a similar point to, you know, the notion that well, okay, these you know, the nonprofit sector is um, women are overrepresented in nonprofit, yet those jobs get paid less. Is that that's a reflection of? A lot of things. One of those is the value we place on different outcomes in our society, and that's that's a problem. True. I would also say that women, uh, despite being seventy-five percent of the workforce, are only less than half of board membership of the, okay. the governance, where the real yeah. power is. Sure. And I read a statistic, it's from 2015, so things could have changed, but 40, only 42% of nonprofit board chairs are women. So uh, I have talked often and publicly about the next time somebody suggests, you know, Bob the banker, uh, you suggest <laughs> you know, sure. Betty the banker, yeah, yeah. Um, somebody younger and, and uh, female. So that our boards become more diverse and yeah, I mean, what's the what's the right way of doing that? 
you know, quota systems and such right. seems super problematic and fraught. And yeah. in, in a little way, in, in some ways, diminishing. I mean, I'm not super right. familiar on the research on affirmative action and all the associated outcomes. But, you know, when you're making choices about board membership, how are you weighting these variables or, or at least thinking about yeah. them? Yeah, well, we <laughs> definitely use a board matrix that has a very broad definition of diversity. It's sure. diversity of profession, of age, of gender, of where people are in their careers. Mm-hmm. We have some people just starting out, and we have some seasoned CEOs of yeah. major household name businesses in And town. probably skill sets, too. And you different want a variety skills. Of we seats. want people who are, yeah, who are comfortable asking for funds, because that is an essential component of nonprofit board service. We want people who are well-networked in their community, who represent a key sector of our community that we want to, you know, make inroads in, sure. if you will. Um, so it's an art and a science. Yeah. And I have no perfect wisdom, but, you know, I, I think I know what a good board looks like and, and what one that would concern me, a heavily male-dominated or even a heavily female-dominated. Yeah. I mean, it gets tricky, right? Because you know, you know what a good board is when you see it, but that's hard to codify, and it's hard to. I mean, it relies on your skill in understanding what a good board is, right? So, how do you? Well, I think it it relies on creating a culture, okay, of that values diversity in the broadest sense of the word, yeah, and so that we're always looking at people through the lens of. Would they? What would their contributions be to our organization? And really, expanding our view of what those contributions are. So it doesn't have to be somebody with the ability to write a huge check. Sure. Um, but it can be somebody with expertise. We have a new zero to five early childhood initiative. So somebody with expertise in that. Somebody who is a young professional who moves in a variety of circles. And mm-hmm. all nonprofits are faced with the challenge of losing donors faster than we're gaining them yeah. as the baby boomers retire and die. Mm-hmm. So uh, how can we make, build relationships in, in that sector? And I guess, too, it's not just knowing a good board when you see it. It's, it's then linking the characteristics of that board to outcomes. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and you know, if diversity is a virtue that leads to better performance of an organization, like we should observe that and be able to champion that and to make that tie explicit. Right. And when I see a board that is uh, heavily dominated by older males, Mm -hmm. most of them white, I generally see an organization that a friend of mine once described as sclerotic, which I've I've been dying to use that word. Well done. Right. Yes. I can just turn off the mic and go home now. Drop it. Uh, <laughs> um, but we need the passion and energy of younger people. Yeah. And and uh, I'm so proud of my young women friends and how fearless many of them are about promoting themselves in, in a good way. And that's not easy to do because of all the labels attached to women who promote themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the, all the sort of fraud, gender differences in language yeah. and all that we could get yeah. into. But this seems like a particularly good moment to pivot to focusing on the Sea Change Initiative. Yeah. Um, you're involved in the Sea Change Initiative. We can talk about that involvement. But um, before we do, I'd like to just get your thoughts on, you know, why is it important that a university and the University of Montana in particular engages in an, in an initiative like this? 
because it's all about leadership. Okay. It is the flagship university and has a giant footprint in our community and our state and has recognized that gender equity is an issue. And I think I applaud efforts to uh, take that collective impact approach to addressing it sustainably, effectively. By sustainably, I mean, you know, over a long issues and effort that will sustain over a long period of time. And I think there's already a lot being done on campus. But as we see at United Way, when we start to work on an issue, people tend to be siloed. Yep. Uh, I I uh, don't like to use that term because no one likes to say they're in a silo. So I say cylinders of excellence. Cylinders of excellence. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's nice. in their cylinder of excellence and they don't want to come out of their cylinder and step into yours. So just having people get to know each other and, mm-hmm. hey, what are you? What have you been doing on this issue? And I, I, I bet there's a lot that Sea Change has already uncovered that's already being done. Sure. But and, to have, and the lack of connections between all those things, yes, too. Yes, and how, been... how can we amplify that, connect it um, to have a broader impact? And how will we be able to judge success? I mean, what, what, as, as an outsider to the university – Structurally, like, how are you going to hold us to account? I would say, um, having thought about your question for five seconds, of course, I have the perfect <laughs> answer. Uh, no, not really. I'm just going to make something up. Um, if if salary, if gender inequity in salaries is no longer an issue, mm-hmm. uh, then I would say that as it would be a success. Uh, set some benchmarks over a period of time, address inequities. I've done that in my own organization in in the past, not at United Way necessarily, but in other jobs, where women feel safe, uh, empowered, uh, accepted in all aspects of campus life. I think that would be uh, something to shoot for. Yeah. I mean, the the wage thing is important, and we need to work on that. Yeah. but it's not just that. It's, That's what it's I'm getting the, at. This, it's what? the it's the uh, it's the atmosphere and tone where sexism isn't tolerated. Yeah. Uh, where jokes at the expense of women or gays or uh, non-binary people mm-hmm. are not tolerated. Where there's a whole culture that says, "Hey, that's that's not who we are. Right. That's not what." you know, the University of Montana is about. Uh, and I don't mean it in, in a sort of PC way. I mean it in sure. a really genuine, like, this is who we are. We're the University of Montana, where we value everyone. We pay everyone competitively and equally. Uh, we offer equal opportunity. Everyone feels safe. Uh, the safety piece is interesting. I mean, we've had a fraught history of safety, particularly for yeah. our, our young female students. Yeah. And I don't mean just physical safety, which, right, of course, right. is an issue, but just safety in, in speaking up, uh, safety in uh, rising, raising your hand and rising to leadership mm-hmm. positions. Uh, advocating for yourself. Advocating for yourself. Advocating for programs that advance women. I, as you can tell, I have no perfect answers. Just a, just a lot of opinions. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't think there necessarily is a perfect answer. And to me, that's one of the things I kind of respect and admire the most about this initiative. Is it's kind of it, we want to promote good things that are happening, but we also want to do an honest assessment. 
right. of where we're at right. and where we need to do better and try to have a dialogue about things we can do to get better. Right. And I think that is uh, just a great recognition that we need, we as a university can do better. And I, I love that I'm talking about the university as we, even though I have really no connection to the university other than being considering them a partner and being a financial supporter. But I really have seen how the university has reached across the river in the last couple of years to take seriously its role as a huge partner with a huge fit, footprint on everything that happens in Missoula. And that's so exciting for our town. Yeah. What are some of the things you've observed in, in terms of those, those reaches across the river? What does that look like from your vantage point? I used to go to meetings where nobody from the university was at the table. Okay. And now people at the university are at every table. Our Project Tomorrow Montana Suicide Prevention Initiative, Mike Frost at Curry Health Center, uh-huh. has been an amazing partner. Our uh, 5210 Childhood Obesity Prevention, it's, uh, we've, we've had folks from the university involved in that. Invest Health, which is uh, not necessarily a United Way program, but it's a, we are one of, uh, Missoula is one of 50 Invest Health cities selected by Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and the in- Reinvestment Fund to advance health equity and make sure that no matter where you live or how much money you make, you have the same opportunities as a, for a healthy life as everyone else. The university is absolutely key to advancing health equity. Uh, students doing research, um, professors adopting it, deans adopting it. Sure. I was at a meeting yesterday with several people from the university talking about health equity. The 10-year plan to end homelessness reaching mm-hmm. home, I will say, without naming names, that when we were creating the plan back in 2011, my co-chair and I met with a leader from the university and started talking about homelessness. And she said, she interrupted me and said, why do you think the university would have any interest in addressing homelessness in Missoula? And I wanted to say, well, now that you're asking, I don't know. (laughs) But uh, fortunately, I was able to address, you know, basically go over that person's head. Sure. And address it with at the top and uh, found somebody, you know, found folks who did understand mm-hmm. the role of a university in a housing market and that that you have homeless people coming to your classes and, yeah. uh, you know, living in their cars and doing everything they can to advance themselves. Well. Right. Participating in our community in a wide yeah. number yeah. of ways. As, you, as you're laying that out there, Susan, I'm thinking about this. You know, we touched on this debate in a previous episode with uh, Anya Jabor and, and Beth, ah. Beth Judy. Um, a university has many purposes, many roles. Uh, and there's always debate about, you know, which roles should be primary, which should be secondary, which should be prioritized, et cetera. One of the roles that's very salient here in the College of Business is preparing students for jobs. Right. And, and helping students get those jobs. And that's that's an important thing that we do. Um, but Anya was talking about the history of universities being designed to solve society's problems. Like that's the primary function of a university. And she talked about the history of University of Chicago being particularly um, effective in, in, in that type of approach or that type of uh, orientation. Um, what you're describing sounds in line with that. Yeah, I, I would say that the university's job is to prepare students for life and for solving problems in yeah. life. And 
One of my friends who uh, runs an engineering firm said to me, I can make an engineer. I want a well-rounded human being. Okay. And I, I subscribe to that theory. I think the jobs will come. <laughs> and w- when you're a well-rounded individual, you can uh, problem solve and communicate well and present yourself well and think with a more global head and right. an institutional ego about what's good for your company, not just what's good for you. Yeah, and, and I think and those two... be a problem solver. Yeah, and I think those two... I mean, the way I framed that, I wasn't trying to sort of suggest that it's an either or. You know, but my position, I think the position of a lot of folks here is that it's it's both, really. Um, yes. But it's a matter of perspective and yes. pushing our students and our faculty and our staff to kind of think more broadly about the work we do here and, and how we should judge its its success. Yes. And I think that's a challenge with the with a traditional student of, of their generation. Um, you know, they probably many of them have seen their parents work for decades at the same company and then the company goes belly up and the pension's lost and there's no loyalty. Right. Cut, cut, cut. Uh, I just heard in Seattle the Amazon store where you can go in and you you don't pay you just you just go to this there's a grocery store being piloted it's all an app on your phone and oh they just you scan just walk your pocket out. so yeah so there'll be like there, there yeah. go all those jobs right, I mean right. it's it's a tough it's a tough time to be coming up so I think it calls for creative well-rounded problem solvers yeah and it would seem that the problems that are created by you know, or the, the 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 jobs that go away because of automation in various dimensions. All of that points to the the role of education becoming more important. Right. We need more educated people that are able to do more things. Right. And, right. And more diverse. Think and, yeah. think um, about big problems in different ways and work collaboratively. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Let's go out and fix that. <laughs> That's the ten-year plan, right? <laughs> well, what do we brand it? The ten-year plan to, to work collaborative. That's lame. The ten-year plan. We'll, to... th- we'll think of some clever acronym. Yeah, let's work on that. Yeah, that'll be episode two. Right, right, perfect. Yeah. Well, Susan, I really appreciate you coming by and, and sharing your your wisdom and um, ideas with our audience, but more importantly, for for being involved um, in Sea Change and also for all the fantastic work that. that that happens through your team at the at the United Way. Thanks. It's it's a privilege and thanks for having me. If folks were interested in learning more about your organization and, and how to get involved, volunteer, yeah. Mizzou- write checks, whatever, how do they how do they find you? <laughs> MissoulaUnitedWay.org. Simple. Okay. Thanks, Susan. Thanks. All right. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Check out MissoulaUnitedWay.org to learn more about the many ways you can get involved with that fabulous organization. Okay. Coming up next week, we have Doug Mitchell, the executive director of the Glacier National Park Conservancy. Glacier National Park is such a treasure, and it was eye-opening to learn more about how parks are funded or, in many cases, not funded. So stay tuned next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. And before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Executive producer, Stefan Borsum. Producer, Aiden Morton, and interns, Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. 
Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.